0: Kip followed Gavin out of the Blackguard barracks. A man and a woman Blackguard fell in behind them, natural and unobtrusive. Kip wondered how they did that. Long practice, he supposed, just like everything in the Blackguard's lives. Maybe that was why being a Blackguard appealed so much to him. Everything they got was earned. Not like Kip's life. They didn't care whose son he was. They cared if he could do the work. Gavin set the weights in the lift. Kip had never really noticed it before, but though the Blackguards guarded Gavin's life, they weren't servants. Kip wondered if that was because Gavin had established that he wanted to do things for himself, or if the Blackguards simply refused to do more than protect him. They headed up, surprising Kip, who thought Gavin would make him go back to his own room. So, your grandfather gave you trouble?
1: Sir, your father... uh, um, he's denied me, sir. You know, uh, denied that I'm your son. That's what I meant when I said I failed.
2: Really? This is going to be fun, isn't it? Kevin turned to one of the Blackguards, a lanky Elysian with a crooked smile. Lighthouse, this is my son, Kip.
0: Kip is my son.
2: Yes, sir, I understand.
0: Oh, a eunuch. Kip had heard that some Elysians believed eunuchs were better drafters than boys. His teachers had ridiculed the idea, though.
1: Cutting a man's balls off doesn't change his eyes. Cutting off one end of a man doesn't change the
0: other. On the other hand, it did obviously change a man's voice, so maybe the idea wasn't that ludicrous. Or maybe it kept a man's voice from changing, which obviously wasn't the same thing. Unless there was something about puberty that also changed a man's eyes, maybe imperceptibly, but enough to skew men's color vision and make their magic fail more often than women's. Again, the problem was that you couldn't tell what exact tones another person perceived, so everyone made the best guess they could. And apparently, some people were confident enough in their guesses to cut off a child's testicles. Kip was living in a mad world, among people who were happy to do worse than he could dream. (sighs) Gavin looked at him, and understood. He touched Kip's shoulder briefly. Letos peeled off as they walked through the security checkpoint and spoke to the officer in charge. Not five seconds later, Lidos was walking quickly to catch up with Gavin and Kip. Another blackguard, Kip's blackguard he supposed, was with him. Samite. Kip was glad to see her again. He hadn't seen her much since the day he'd first arrived. He grinned at her. She simply raised an eyebrow. They walked to Gavin's room and went inside. Gavin beckoned Kip to follow him. Like a particularly squat shadow, Samite followed Kip in and took her place behind the door. She was Kip's bodyguard now, and that meant guarding him even in Gavin's room. Even from Gavin, if it came to that? A mad world. The big open room was spotlessly clean, and as beautiful as the last time Kip had been here. But now he knew a lot more about drafting than the first time he'd been here. Knowing more, he was more impressed. There were hellstone panels in the walls that you could hit with superviolet luxin to control the windows and the artificial lights above. There was subred luxin woven through the floors and the ceiling to keep the room warm, counteracting the chill that invaded through the dozens of floor-to-ceiling windows. But before Kip could marvel at the workmanship and luxury even of the windows themselves, he saw Marissa, Gavin's room slave. She must have had warning that Gavin was coming, because she was wearing finer clothing than Kip had ever seen her in before. He supposed that the gray color technically was in obedience to the sumptuary laws, and her hair was carefully kept free of her ears to show where they had been snipped vertically and cauterized in the Ruthgari style, but she looked astoundingly good. But the fitted cut and her lean curves had kept more like the background roar of ocean waves crashing to shore. He was arrested by the look on her face. She was desperate for approval, eager for favor, eyes only for Gavin. Kip had seen dozens, hundreds of people look at his father with adoration in their gazes. He'd seen people look at him with veneration in their gazes. This was love. As fast as if he were trying to follow a cannonball in flight, Kip looked over to Gavin's face. The prism was obviously pleased. He smiled widely, and Kip saw his father's eyes sweep over Mauricia's body appreciatively.
3: Ew,
1: that's my father, looking at a woman like...
0: Kip didn't want to think about it. He looked away. Maricia! Maricia hurried over and knelt at Gavin's feet. She kissed his hand. My lord. Kip couldn't help but look back at them. You've been crying.
4: Yes, my lord. I have much to tell you.
0: She glanced over at Kip. Ah, in private. Gavin handed Kip the cloaks in the card box. He walked to a closet, rummaged for something. Kip walked over to one side of the room where there was a table and chairs. Maricia had already risen by the time Kip sat and was speaking quickly to Gavin, with her hand to the side of her mouth in case Kip was a lip-reader, he guessed. These people know what they're doing, and they're playing for keeps.
4: No, no alarms, I'm certain.
0: She lowered her voice again. Gavin asked several quick, sharp questions, heard the low answers, then nodded a few times. Damn. Yes? Kip couldn't see who it was, and Gavin made a very subtle gesture to him to stay where he was. Always keeping secrets, his father... Not letting anyone know anything that might endanger them all. Semite, blocked from sight as she was by the open door, remained silent, unseen.
1: Gavin, I was hoping you might accompany me downstairs. It is your business that will be before the spectrum, after all. But I'd enjoy a word first.
0: The white? Gavin was talking to the white. Kip swallowed again. Of course. Gavin nonchalantly tossed something onto his bed flicked his eyes to Kip to let him know it was for him, and then left. Maricia turned to Kip.
4: It appears you're to stay here, young master. Do you have any needs? Perhaps a bite to eat? Excellent. Then, if you'll excuse me, I have urgent errands for the prison. Please do stay out of his things. He's not very understanding about those who violate this, the only sanctuary he knows. I understand.
0: Kip glanced, chagrined at Samite beside the door. Her lips were pursed, trying to keep from grinning, no doubt, But otherwise, her face was expressionless. He sat down at the table. Stay out of trouble, huh? He looked over at the bed, and then at the deck box, and for one proud moment, thought of not opening it. Hell with that. The cards practically leapt into his hands. The door opened, and Kip slammed the cards back into their box and hid it under the cloaks. Oh, it was just Tia.
4: Hey, Master! The prism slave told me you might still be here. We're supposed to go to practice. Uh, We need to talk about that master thing. No, we need to talk about our strategies for the blackguard testing. After practice. We don't
1: need to talk about strategies yet, do we? We don't. They sent
0: you in here to distract me.
4: Commander said you'd just been through something traumatic. Your partner's supposed to look out for you. Now come on.
0: It was almost like having a real friend. But of course, Tia had to look out for Kip. She was his slave. Kip gave a wan smile. Almost a real friend wasn't half bad, considering. He picked up the card box again as he stood. Kip looked at Samite. She returned his look blandly. He put the box down, feeling like a chastened child. He gestured toward the bed.
1: Can I get that at least, Mom,
0: be my guest? Her expression was tolerantly amused. Kip picked up a little stick of ivory from the bed. He had no idea what it was.
4: Oh, that's a testing stick. From the threshing. It shows what colors you'll likely be able to draft. Why'd he give you a testing?
0: The stick lay across Kip's open palm. It had all seven colors. Gavin greeted the white with a smile as their blackguards fell into place behind them. Alicia, a petite woman, light-skinned for the blackguard, was pushing the white's wheeled chair. This was a change. The white was weakening then. For some reason, though he had feared her for nearly two decades, the thought brought Gavin nothing but dread. She was dying. And so was Gavin. And if she continued drafting so much, so too was Karis. Maybe this generation's time had passed. Meanwhile, the heretics under the color prints grew strong. Kip wouldn't be ready in time. Not with Gavin dying at this rate. He'd lost two colors in, what, four months?
1: So, you faked Kip's test so your enemies wouldn't know he was a full-spectrum polychrome?
0: Yes, let's do jump right in. Anything to not give her a commitment to balance while she watched. Pretty much, though
2: someone sent an assassin after him immediately, so it obviously didn't work.
1: It appears someone is trying to start up the order again. There have been a few unexplained murders in the time you've been gone, but we can talk about that later.
0: They entered the lift together. Gavin took his time setting the weights.
1: If you told me your plans beforehand every once in a while, I could help you, you know, Gavin.
2: But that would require me to trust you.
1: But that would require you to trust me.
0: Scary. Too much time with the old goat. He wondered if he was becoming more like her or she him. Now, there was a scary thought.
1: What's the end game, Gavin?
0: End game? He thought of his seven purposes. Seven purposes in seven years. He was two years in now, and he didn't have five years left anymore. He'd learned to travel faster than anyone ever had. Hell, he'd learned to fly. He'd failed at freeing Garriston, Though if he followed Corvin's argument, he'd actually succeeded by saving the people. He still hadn't told Karis the truth, but he'd do that once he left here. And the other four? Well, he'd be working toward all of them in this meeting. And he certainly couldn't tell her about any of So, there is an endgame. game. <laughs> shit. He'd forgotten who he was talking to here. Forgotten to guard his every expression. Forgotten to lie first and think later. Protect, guard, hide. The fugitive's motto. Honesty is death. Loneliness
2: is weakness. War. The end is always war.
1: I don't even know that they'll declare war. But if you think they're going to declare you Promakos again, you're insane.
0: He stopped them, perfectly even with the level, so that her wheeled chair could exit smoothly. He strode ahead, not waiting for her.
1: They're too afraid of you, Gavin. Too afraid?
0: They're not afraid enough. Gavin stepped into the meeting room and took a seat on the far side. The table around which they met was a circle, but Gavin wanted to be able to see who came in the door. A few of the colors were already seated. Sada Superviolet, representing Perea, sat next to Kleidos Blue. Sada was from minor nobility and a clan that wielded little clout in Perea, Mountain Perean. She'd attained far more in her life than anyone would have expected through cold intelligence and fierce ambition. Hands as gnarled as yucca palm branches, skin as psoriatic as a yucca palm's trunk. She wore her kinky hair gathered in small knots and wore a tight-fitting cap of woven gold that sat tight against her scalp, with little gaps for each knot of hair. An odd style that, so far as Gavin knew, had originated with the woman herself. Like the superviolet she was, Sada brought a dispassionate perspective to all her votes and was often the swing voter because she was immune to any pressure but that of logic. Hated lies. Klaidos Blue was Rothgari through and through, but represented Alita. He was a coward, intelligent but lacking substance, no gravitas. He did what Andros told him on most matters. Gavin sat next to Kleidos, greeting him as if he didn't despise him. He was happy to sit next to the man. Not for his company, but because it's hardest to surreptitiously study the expressions on the faces of those who sit right next to you. Kleidos didn't matter. Gavin didn't have to be able to study his face. Gia Talver, the yellow, nodded to Gavin, smiled. At the center of the color spectrum, yellows could be truly fearsome great souls who brought under their power the appeals of emotion and reason and perfect balance gia was no great soul though she liked to think she was in truth she really just ended up being perfectly susceptible to appeals of reason and emotion both she was gavin's almost always she'd been infatuated with him for years his smile was enough to get her vote though it had been a delicate act to keep her from trying to get into his bed She tried her wiles on him every so often, and he deflected her propositions rather than rejected them. Vain creature. Good enough looking, but too much makeup. Though she had cut back on the perfume after Andros made numerous explicit references to rooms smelling like cheap whores whenever she entered. She was proud of her unibrow, kept it perfectly quaffed. As he sat, Gavin smiled at the hairy caterpillar perched on her brow. Gia beamed. The others came in together, they were friendly but tense. Delara Orange, the red orange bicrom, whose bosom was so large it ought to have had its own vote, looked drawn, grim, older than Gavin had ever seen her. She represented Atash. Her country had been invaded by the color prince, and doubtless she would advocate war. Doubtless she had been advocating war since she'd first heard of the invasion. The subred was heiress of the Green Veils. She was perhaps eight months pregnant now, serially pregnant always. In her, the passions of Subred were wedded to a cultural imperative for drafters to breed so as to replace the dead for the once interminable wars between Blood Forest and Rothgar. She was, Gavin thought, perhaps 35, and she had 12 children. Not a one, if rumor was correct, by the same father. She had a curtain of straight red hair, freckles, and blue eyes sparkling with a crystalline detritus that marked a long-time Subred. She had perhaps two years left. Her 13 or by then, probably fourteen children, would grow up honored in Blood Forest. They would also grow up without a mother. Where's Luna Green? Kledos blanched. I'm so sorry, Lord Prism. Luna, despite being Rathgari, was Gavin's. He'd carefully built up enough credits with her, that if he called them all in, she would do almost anything for him. What? She had a stroke. She died. She wasn't even forty-five. I'm so sorry, Lord Prism. She was right on the verge of breaking the halo for some time, and... There were rumors she wasn't going to take the freeing. You understand? That she was trying to become a green light, and she failed. No, she wouldn't. Would she? But that was the thing about facing death and insanity, wasn't it? You never knew what a person would do. Gavin had seen all sorts over the years. This was a disaster. A declaration of war required a simple majority. Eight votes were possible, one for each color and one for the prism. In case of ties, the white got a vote. Gavin's count had included Delara Orange, who was a Tashian and would definitely vote for war, and Eris Greenvale, whose blood forest was directly on the warpath and who wasn't averse to war regardless. His own vote with Luna's would bring it to four. That would kick it up to the white, who he thought would vote for it. She wasn't a fool. But without Luna, Gavin would have to sway Gia Tolver, our Sada Superviolet, Gia voted with him often, but the Abornians had no stake in a war, and wouldn't mind seeing Atash burn for a while as they pretended that their reluctance to help put out the flames was born of pure, high-minded pacifism. Sada’s Superviolet was even harder to judge. Perea was also far away from the fighting and wouldn't want to send its young men or its wealth, but Sada would do what was right, he hoped. Gavin would have to move fast if he was going to have a chance. Perhaps the new green would be amenable, If she or he wasn't, Gavin could structure the vote. His father would have already sent in his vote on war as a no, but if Gavin was tricky and quick, he could make there be votes on issues that the Red hadn't sent his vote down for. By not calling a straight up or down vote on declaring war, Gavin might be able to outmaneuver the old spider. Difficult, but possible. He would turn the old man's proud disregard for the spectrum on its head. For all the satisfaction his father got out of despising them, there would be costs. Luna Green, though... She wouldn't
3: have gone white, would she? But if she hadn't... Dear Or, Holum, the murder of a color? Surely the Order isn't that good. This wasn't
0: the right way to do this. He knew that. He wasn't prepared for this meeting. Not that it was his fault. They'd called for an emergency session weeks ago, to be held as soon as he got back. So he couldn't wait, couldn't put it off. The longer he spent with these people, the more opportunities they had to notice that something was wrong with him. His eyes had still looked prismatic when he'd only lost blue, he'd asked Corvin, But then his eye's natural color was blue. Now that he'd lost green, wouldn't his eyes start changing color? This was all madness and stumbling in the dark. There was conversation from the hall, and wearing a luxurious green silk cloak, in came none other than Tysus Malargos, the astoundingly beautiful young green who'd sabotaged Kip's test. The woman who hated Gavin, because her family had reason to hate the real Gavin. The woman whose father had been murdered on Felia Giles' orders, because he could have exposed that Gavin wasn't really Gavin. She shot a look at the prism. Hazel eyes, heart-shaped face, pale skin, the preciously rare blonde hair, generous curves. An exotic beauty who hated him for nothing he had actually done. Perfect. Very, very young to be on the spectrum, though. How would that... And then, her interlocutor stepped into view, wearing large, blacked-out spectacles under a crimson hood and robes the color of blood. Father, what a surprise! Trainer Fisk was running the scrubs through takedown drills when Karis White Oak came in. Tia immediately took notice. For one thing, she wasn't very good at the throws they were practicing, was one area where her lack of body weight made things much more difficult for her. She could still throw a boy who weighed twice as much as she did, but she had to get the leverage perfect. Getting things perfect seemed beyond her right now. Second, Karis was her hero. Everyone respected Karis. She was known to be one of the best fighters in the entire Blackguard. Fast and tough, mentally and physically and magically. Smart, confident, and beautiful on top of it all. She was everything Tia hoped to be, even if some of those last things were out of reach. Third, Learning that Kip was a full-spectrum polychrome had kind of frightened her. And it had scared Kip, too. Attending
3: Blackguard training? That was normal. She could handle that. Watch Captain White Oak. It's an honor to have you come.
5: I wish I could visit more often. I hear this is a very talented class.
3: She had? They were? Everyone perked up at that. Even Kip. I wonder. Would you be willing to show us a quick takedown? I'd be happy to. Who's
5: the best fighter in the class?
3: Cruxer.
6: Cruxer!
0: Defend yourself. Karas walked toward him, and he got in a ready stance. One foot forward, hands lightly balled and held up. She snapped an attack, a knife hand right at his eyes. His hand shot up to block, palms out. Then his hands and hers entwined, and Cruxer dropped to his knees as fast as he could. He had barely touched them to the dirt before she was moving in, sweeping him off his knees to the ground. Rolled over, face down, one of his hands still clasped in hers, her knee on his neck. Unhurriedly, she drew a pistol from her belt and put it to the back of his head. It was over that fast, against Cruxer. Tia looked over at Kip. He had the same wide-eyed look she did. Then Karis tucked her pistol away and got up.
5: It's one of those tricks that works well against those who've never seen it. It's instinctive. You go for the eyes and your target will open his hands to fend off the strike. A quick finger lock? and you can drop him. From there, you've got all the leverage you need. Less weight and less strength just means you need to be smarter.
3: Nicely done, Watch Captain. I haven't seen that one in years. (laughs) I'm afraid it would have worked even on me.
5: Eh, maybe. Although I'm not too eager to reenact our last fight.
3: Extenuating circumstances. You were tired. Not many people trade five fight tokens.
5: (laughs) Can I take one of your students for the afternoon? I've got some private training to brush up on.
3: But of
0: course. Karis looked around the room. Then finally, she pointed at Tia.
5: You. You'll do.
0: For some reason, Tia was sure that she hadn't been picked randomly. But that night, Karis just trained. She said nothing except to give instructions about how to hold the kickbags or which exercises she wanted Tia to do with her.
4: Excuse me, watch captain. Why are you trading with me? I can't hold a candle to
5: a lot of the fighters
4: you work with every day.
5: Sometimes it's good to fight people who don't know what they're doing. It reminds you how most of your opponents in real life flail. It's less predictable.
4: Oh, well then.
0: Neither of them said anything else. Gavin had almost forgotten the visceral effect his father had on people. And Kyle had sequestered himself by degrees, starting almost a decade ago. Most men would be diminished by their absence. Andros had grown in people's minds, in their dread. He'd become the bloated spider at the center of the web. And now, returning, weak, near-blind, somehow he was still a titan. He was old. Drafters never got old. Becoming old meant you'd done the impossible. The casual destructions of age, the sagging, translucent skin, the liver spots, the frailty, these had become badges of honor, proof of godlike will, self-discipline, power. With the assistance of his lapdog slave Grinwoody, Andros Giles sat. He ignored the greetings of the other colors and lifted his chin as if staring in the direction of the white, who alone seemed unmoved. If Andros Giles' presence swayed everyone else in the room against Gavin's proposal, at least it swayed the white toward it. But though her instinct would be to oppose anything Andros wanted, she wouldn't let that override her concern for what was right, what was best for the seven satrapies and the chromeria. Even she couldn't be counted on. Trying not to let how utterly furious he was show on his face, Evan looked at his father. The bastard sat there, basking in his own excellence. The rules didn't apply to Andros' guile. He was above them. The world bent to his will. Ridiculous.
6: (laughs) Is something funny, Lord Prism?
0: Just had a small personal revelation. He smiled indulgently at Tysus Malargos and didn't tell her more, just to infuriate her. You're playing with the big guns now, Tysus. Are you sure you're ready?
6: And that is?
2: Why you don't like me. Which isn't the reason you shouldn't like
0: me.
1: Perhaps we should get started.
0: The White. Ever the peacekeeper, if not always a peacemaker.
1: Andros. It's so good to see you. It's been too long. Would you like to lead the invocation?
0: No. The White tented her fingers, waited a long moment. Kledos Blue couldn't handle the tension. I
3: I would be happy to do this. Are you feeling
0: unwell, Andross?
1: Too feeble for a prayer?
0: Gavin saw where that was going. Implied weakness. Implied unfitness to remain on the spectrum. It was unusually blunt for the White, who preferred a gentler hand. But she also didn't
3: suffer rudeness. Of course not. My voice is no longer a thing of beauty. The ravages of many years in our hold service... I thought perhaps the mellifluous tones of Tysus Green's voice might be more uplifting for us all.
1: Or Holum judges the hearts of men, not their voices. He hears any prayer lifted to him in humility.
0: So my father might as well save his breath. Evan let his bemusement show on his face. His father, his eyes shuddered even beneath his blacked-out spectacles, was literally playing blind, taking on the whole spectrum without being able to see anyone's facial expressions. Balls. Perhaps it was handicap enough to help Gavin. But his father's words actually cast doubt into Gavin's mind. Why would Andros point to the new green? Of course, she was young and beautiful, and she did have a pretty voice, all things that Andros did appreciate. But by singling her out, Andros suggested that Tysus was his. Gavin had assumed she was, but why would Andros need to point it out to everyone? Unless, perhaps, she wasn't, or wasn't fully... The tightness around Tysus' eyes, above her phony smile, told Gavin his father was pushing it. Greens hated to be bound, hated to be controlled. Careful, father. I might just pull that jewel away from you, despite everything. Relaxing his eyes into subred, Gavin looked at each member of the spectrum in turn, doing his best to be subtle about it. In subred, the nuances of a person's facial expressions couldn't be seen. That spectrum of light was too fuzzy for fine details. What he could see was the temperature of each person's skin. It varied from woman to woman, of course, depending on their natural temperature and how close their blood vessels were to the surface of the skin. But if you could establish and remember a baseline for each person, and Gavin had very carefully done that over the years for everyone here except Tysus, you could tell when someone was feeling unusual stress. As their heart pounded faster, even if they were able to control more overt signs like swallowing, fidgeting, or clenching their jaws, they would glow hotter and subred. Of course, a person could be nervous for dozens of reasons. And their temperature could be affected by any number of factors, from drinking a glass of wine to wearing heavy clothes. But every once in a while, it would give Gavin a clue that nothing else would. With this group, he needed every advantage.
3: Father of Lights, we humbly beseech you attend our
0: supplication. Andros despised prayer, Gavin knew. He could do what he had to, of course. He knew all the rituals backward and forward. And in front of the common folk was capable of all apparent sincerity. Here, among those he could almost consider peers, he had more trouble hiding his contempt. To him, the entire religion was a con, but a con in which all their power rested. Thus, the faux archaisms delivered deadpan enough that one couldn't quite be sure
3: if he was devout
0: and old, or mocking them all.
3: Prostrate before you we fall, O Lord. May our pretensions wither in the heat of your glory. May our presumptions fade in the light of your truth. May you bestow upon us clarity and counsel, obscurity and obfuscation, ocular acuity in action. Thus, in our wretchedness, do we implore. May our young defer to old, and our old defer to the grave. May our labors flower in your sight with peace and truth and long suffering. Crotchfield bastard. Thus be it. They all made the sign of the four and three.
1: Gavin, your meeting.
0: Clearly, some things have changed in the time I was gone. He stared at Isis Green.
2: For all of us.
6: I was rightly appointed to this body, Isis. Gavin
1: is presiding. All colors will be recognized in due course and heard fully, but we are a collegial body, and interruptions shall not be tolerated.
2: As you are no doubt aware, when last I met with you, that is those who were present at that time, and those who were not have doubtless read the minutes of that meeting pursuant to diligent fulfillment of their duties. That is,
0: if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're lazy and bad at your job, Tysus. Gavin had no doubt that his father had memorized the minutes from the last meeting. He'd gotten his memory from the old man, after all. When last I met with you, I warned you
2: that King Aradul had rebelled and would doubtless seize Garriston. I urged us to prevent war, though in a way that proved too painful for this council to countenance. This august body rejected my proposal, and war did
0: indeed follow. Kleidos raised a forefinger, asking for recognition to speak. Gavin extended his hands out and downward, as if smoothing away the problem. I don't come to refight old debates. I understand that there were excellent
2: reasons to be skeptical of what King Aradul intended and what he would be able to do. I have no intention of dwelling on the past, except to remind you all that I was right. Merely summarizing for those who might not have noticed the nuances of the minutes."
0: Gavin looked at Tysus as though this last comment was directed at her, and indeed she flushed. In truth, his summary was for everyone else framing the old conversation for his own purposes. He who controls the past and all that. Gavin could do all this with his brain handing over control of the ship to the first mate. He was thinking furiously. Oh, Luna. After all the work I did cultivating her. Huh? Androskyle moistened his lips. If anything, he looked perversely proud of his son. Which didn't mean he wouldn't yank the rug out from under Gavin as soon as the opportunity presented itself. For a moment, Gavin wondered. What if Luna Green had been murdered, but not by the Order? What if his father had done it? No. That wasn't Androskow's way. He would bribe a color or blackmail her, but not murder. On the other hand, it would be vintage Androskow to have a plan to replace each and every one of them, in case they did break the halo or resign. Andros would be ready. That didn't mean he would get an ideal candidate in place each time, only that he could steer the nomination. Perhaps that was why Tysus wasn't fully his. If Andros really was willing to murder a color, he would have made sure that he murdered one whose replacement was fully his, right? Otherwise, why risk murder? Gavin was taking too long. Take the facts as they are, and work with them. Move forward. Figuring out the past can wait. What advantages did having Tysus on the Council give him? The Spectrum expected Gavin to head straight for the discussion of a declaration of war. Then they thought he'd ask to be made Promakos again. In truth, I don't think the first thing we should discuss today is the war raging in Tyria and Eastern Atash. Kleidos raised his finger again. Gavin motioned for him to speak. We've not established that the troubles in Tyria and Eastern Atash are war, Lord Prism. Precisely. Which
2: is why I said we wouldn't be talking about it first. We are a deliberative council. Such matters should be discussed, but not necessarily first like I just said."
0: Delara's orange-red haloed eyes narrowed. She wanted to talk about War too. immediately. She clearly hoped that Gavin would be the last vote she needed. She never had been very good at the arithmetic of these situations. The satrapy of Tyria was a place of dishonor and
2: war. Since Satrap Rui Gonzalo sided with my brother Dazen, his satrapy was doomed. It waged war, and destruction was visited by its sons on others, and by others' sons on it. After the war, Tyria was stripped of her representation on this council and looted. Seeing Dalara's raised finger, Gavin amended... ...forced to pay reparations that left her destitute. For many good reasons, and a few ill, Tyria became a husk. Satrap Haridul doomed that husk. He made war on Garrison and the Seven Satrapies and this council thereby, and declared himself king. I fought him in Garrison and I lost. Of course, the good news is that the so-called king was also killed in the last battle. There are many things we need to do today, and I apologize for the many hours we are going to spend here. I've arranged for refreshments to be brought up in two hours, but the first
0: item is very simple. Every one of them hated these meetings, and every one of them except Blue and Superviolet hated the formal order to them that made even the simplest resolution take half an hour. By raising the specter of being stuck in the meeting all day, Gavin hoped to make them a little careless. It would especially needle a green he also did have a history when the white let him preside of tackling whatever business was before them in a logical manner first agreeing on what everyone could agree on and then moving forward as efficiently as possible while letting everyone have their say there are people
2: in tyria who have now been deprived of their leader people who didn't care if he called himself satrap or king they followed rask's father and most of them liked the old man In the course of a life that is rarely touched by politics, most common folk will simply go along with whoever's giving the orders. They had no reason to think Ras Karadil was illegitimate and no reason to think his successor is, especially if we who divine Orholam's will say nothing against the new king, as this color prince will no doubt declare himself. So before we get to the meat of today's proposal, I suggest we draft a simple resolution Condemning King Ras Karadur for waging
0: war on the seven satrapies. Kevin opened the floor for comments and debate, as if he wanted to get this out of the way. He stared at Tysus. Beautiful girl.
1: It would certainly strike a blow against the legitimacy of this color prince.
0: Dolora Orange had drafted enough red in her life that her rage was overpowering. Anything that hurt the color prince was something she would vote for.
4: And the man we're condemning is dead. So we wouldn't be further alienating a man with whom we might need to make peace in the future. If we're able to settle things down in eastern Atash with this man, it would put us in a better negotiating position. We would visibly have to move farther to meet him in the middle, making the halfway point effectively closer to our side of things.
2: Ah, Saga, seeing political problems as if they were points to be plotted on a graph. Oh, hold him, love her, the fool. Uh, no, 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 I see what you're doing here, Lord Prism. What is the moron doing? Yes, I'm trying to weaken a rebellion before it sweeps up half the lands in the seven satrapies.
0: Which is a noble goal that I share. Kleidos glanced over at Andros, but without eyes, Andros couldn't give him subtle cues of whether Kleidos was on the tack Andros wanted him to take. But even if the man called himself a king, I think that gives him too much prestige. It is what he called himself. We needn't give him
2: that moral high ground. He was a rebel, nothing more. What would you prefer, then? Illegitimate king? So-called king? Illegitimate
4: satrap? Clearly, declaring oneself to be a rebel would vacate one's legitimacy. Thus, illegitimate satrap would be an accurate descriptor.
0: Gavin turned his hand's palm up toward Kleido's as if surrendering the issue to him. Very well, we can back up further. Would you like to dictate the document, Clytos? Clytos hated public speaking. As the blue, he felt that he should get all the technicalities exactly right on the first try. And he never did. No, please. Go ahead. Gavin turned to the chief scribe in the
2: room. By order of the color spectrum, with the full imprimatur of the prism, blessed by Orholum's radiance, etc., The woman scribbled in a few lines, skipping space to fill in the official lines. I must confess, I'm disappointed something so simple wasn't done during my absence. Surely such a condemnation would seem pro forma. Never
0: mind. Please interject if you have any suggestions. There was still some niggling done over the word war. Gavin and Dallara championed it, but eventually it was stricken in favor of a condemnation of visiting violence upon the innocent peoples of the seven satrapies and the illegitimate satrap Haradol condemned though the word traitor was also stricken. Gavin grimaced briefly as if this were a setback, but not a huge one. It was a brief document, and he took care not to feign too much boredom. The war bit was the canard. Let them think that he was angling subtly toward declaring war later in the meeting. But don't overplay your hand. As soon as the scribe finished, Gavin signed the document and sent it around the table for signatures. Now, the urgent matter. The
2: reason we've come here today refugees and war. The fact of the matter is, I do have some personal investment in this issue. I'll put that on the table. I failed to stop Haridul, and Garrison was lost because of that. I went to fight, perhaps rashly, without the full weight of the spectrum behind me, and I lost. In losing, I lost faith, and some of the people for whom I was fighting lost faith in the Cromaria. Obviously, the former isn't a problem for this body, but the latter is. I feel a responsibility for the people who have fled. I would like to see this council make some efforts to provide for them. So again, easy issues first. I'd like to draft another resolution that our satrapies send food, clothing, and supplies to those who've been displaced.
0: He recognized Alara
7: And arms. Those refugees will join
1: the fight. At least some of them will, against the color prince.
0: I agree with you. But
2: I would suggest we put the more contentious issues into a separate resolution so that we can do the sane and human thing in providing for those who've been attacked by the late Raskar duel as soon as possible. Will the Spectrum agree to address these issues separately? Let's agree to what's immediately obvious to all of us. These refugees are doubtless starving.
1: We can agree that we must send them help. Later, we can argue about exactly how much of a share of that burden each of us should send.
3: The brass tacks. Eris was
0: ruthlessly practical, even in her charity. Gavin liked that about her. They agreed by a claim to consider the issues separately. The first resolution had made it halfway around the room. Gavin had passed it to Kleidos, who'd signed it. The White had passed it on. Because she only voted in the case of Ty, she never signed any resolution until at least a majority had. Delara signed it and passed it on to Sada Superviolet. She paused. And Gavin couldn't tell if it was because she was thinking about the second resolution, or if she had some sudden qualm about the first. Sada Superviolet stared at Gavin. She didn't say anything, but she handed on the resolution without signing it. Aris did, Delara did, and she slid it to Tysus. Tysus gave one more glance to Andros, got nothing, and signed it. And Gavin had his supermajority. Oh, Tysus.
2: Luna Green was almost a friend. I never could have done this to her.
0: Do you know what you can do to an enemy but not to a friend? Stab her in the back. Carver Black slid the paper in front of Andros. Carver had a voice on the spectrum but no vote. Andros whispered to Grinwoody, who responded. Andros asked him another question in a whisper. Gavin narrowed his eyes to subred, and instantly he saw his father getting hotter, though the man's expression didn't alter in any other perceptible way. <laughs> Andros signed his name, then turned to Tysus.
3: Do you know what you've done, girl? What?
0: Gavin leaned over and quickly took the parchment from in front of his father and cocked an eyebrow at Sada. Will you make it unanimous? Of course. It was a moot point now. She signed it, handed it to the White, who signed. What? Why don't you explain, son? The head scribe brought the resolution to Gavin, who brought his stick of official sealing wax up to his finger, drafted Subred directly to it, and pressed his seal on the document, making it official. Of course, father. The fact is, we are at war. None of us
2: wants this. I don't want it. You don't want to admit it because you're afraid I'll press you to declare me pro-Marcos again. I understand that fear. Surrendering power is terrifying, though Orholum knows I've not given you any reason to distrust me. Tyria is gone. I suppose that's just as well. We can fight about what to do next. We can fight about how we fight. But while we bicker, the people who fled Garrison have lost everything. I'm sure you know by now that they've found refuge upon Sears Island, and I will report on that fully later today. But winter is upon us. There's no time for them to plant a harvest. If we don't provide for them, they'll die. We brought this on them, and even if you reject that, they are still the subjects of the Seven Satrapies. It is our duty. The point being? The point, dear father, Dear friends, is that I won't stand for these people to suffer any more than absolutely necessary to make their new lives. In the resolution we just signed unanimously, this council has declared Satrap Haradul's satrapy illegitimate. Rask Haradul was installed legitimately, was corresponded with as a legitimate satrap for a time. If he became illegitimate, but not through his personal treason, it is because his satrapy itself is illegitimate, which is a simple acknowledgement of truth. Tyria has not been a real satrapy in 16 years. It had caretakers in its former capital, and its seat on this council was seized by another satrapy. So this is as it should be. However, a satrapy can only be dissolved by a supermajority vote of this council. We have so
0: voted.
1: That's a lot of interpretation you're layering into a simple document.
0: The White didn't necessarily disagree with him, but she didn't like at all how he'd done it.
2: Yes? But it is the prism's prerogative to define satrapies, and I have already done so. I settled the refugees of Garriston onto Sears Island, a place where they will not be flooding your cities with their destitute tens of thousands, for which I hope all your satraps thank you endlessly. And me. And I declared Sears Island a new satrapy. The new satrap, I'm afraid to say, could
0: only be Corvin Danavis. They knew he hated Corvin. They knew he'd fought against him and had lost friends in those fights. That Corvin might be the new satrap was at least one thing that undercut Gavin's personal power. So they thought. By endorsing that we
2: are indeed still seven satrapies, you've endorsed my new creation.
0: I think we can all agree that what you've just tried to do is... He's unacceptable
5: surely he doesn't have the power to establish new satrapies on his own a high lady pulluar look at any
1: history it will tell you the prism established the seven satrapies of course things have changed greatly since those times but it clearly was in the prism's purview of old
2: and has never been removed from the prism's
0: purview as you put it high lady of course it hadn't there wasn't anywhere else to put another satrapy And no one would ever agree to splitting their own.
6: Well, let's just vote to undo this!
0: I agree, Tysus, but pardon me, I'm still presiding here
2: today, and we'll still follow the proper procedure. You wish to dissolve Sears Island as a satrapy? Yes! Then you'll need a supermajority to pass your resolution. And we've just
0: said, dissolving a satrapy requires a supermajority. Fine! You could see others looking around the table, sliding the beads. Would anyone hold out on this? They brought the resolution. Several of the colors looked at Gavin like he was insane. Why would he pull such a thing and then allow it to be rescinded immediately? The white knew he could see it in the tightness of her face. And Andros knew he was rubbing the bridge of his nose, where his heavy dark spectacles had worn lines into his skin. Tysus, furious, dictated the resolution. Gavin made no objection. When the head scribe brought it to him for his inspection, he nodded and handed the document to Tysus first. And on whose behalf are you signing, Tysus?
1: My own. (sighs) Our service on the Spectrum is never on our own behalf,
0: child. Tysus sneered. Unwise. She was mad at Gavin, not the White. And it never paid to sneer at the White.
5: (sighs) So be it. I signed on
7: behalf of...
0: All the blood drained out of her face. She was Ruthgari, and her seat was used for Ruthgar's benefit. But it was a seat held in protectorship.
6: I... I signed for Tyria.
0: There is no satrapy of Tyria.
2: Your position no longer exists. As this meeting is a closed meeting of the Spectrum, you're excused.
6: Uh, You can't do this!
2: Not alone. We did it
0: together. You helped. Gavin's blackguards were at his side, somehow sensitive to the imminent threats. Tysus looked around the table in disbelief. Don't worry, you'll be right back. We'll have the vote immediately. It'll be five minutes.
5: Klytos, you idiot! You think he took it this far without a plan?
0: Tysus stood sharply
2: and strode out of the room. As the satrap of Sears Island hasn't yet appointed his color, the Prism holds his vote in trust. And believe me, he wouldn't want me to use
0: his vote to disband his satrapy. Two votes, then, for him. He gave them a second to finish the arithmetic. Tysus was gone. They needed a supermajority of five, so Gavin only needed four to stop them. No tie was possible, so the white couldn't vote. The black could never vote. They knew Delara would vote with him because she needed his help on the war. Giatolver always voted with him. Four. And that was if all the others broke Androskow's way. Is there anyone who wishes to
3: call the vote? I do. Is there a second? Ah, uh, You want to put a loss in the records and establish precedent?
0: Klydos paled, then stared around the room looking for allies. Even those who might have voted with him turned away.
3: I... I... I wish...
0: The motion fails for lack of a second.
3: I move
2: we adjourn. I have a babe to nurse, and I think all of us have messengers to send. One moment. I want to say one thing. You did this. It didn't have to be this way. If you'd listened to me, Tyria would still exist, and the color prince wouldn't be rampaging across a tash. If you'd sent a bare thousand soldiers or a hundred drafters, we could have defeated King Haridul. But you, you, you sent a delegation to study the problem. Peace should be maintained at almost any cost. As the blessed Adria Koran spi- War is a horror, yes, I know. I know. And pacifism, which you claim to value so highly. Pacifism is a virtue indistinguishable from cowardice. This war could've been ended before it began in half a dozen ways. If you'd taken your boot off the throat of Tyria one second before it got strong enough to throw you off, this wouldn't have happened. I tell you this, if you won't do what's right, I will. Things are going to change around here. (sighs) Starting with this. Father, you've treated Kip like a bastard. He's not. His mother was a free woman that I elevated to a ladyship during the war. As Promakos, that was my right. We married in secret because I was young and I was afraid of what you would say, but we did marry. That's why I've never married since. She's dead now, but she deserves this of me. Kip is my son, not a bastard, a full son. That you've cast dispersions on this, that you've doubted my own word is, I'm afraid, further evidence of your advancing senility. You'll join the freeing this year, my son, if you don't, feel you can hold out for another eight months, I will be at your disposal for a more private ceremony sooner. No one
0: moved. No one even breathed. A small, detached part of Gavin marveled. He could dissolve an entire satrapy and unseat one of the colors, and they were perturbed. But see him cross his father, and they were flabbergasted.
3: Senility.
0: And now we find out how far gone to red he is. But Andros' Skyle was as cold as an old red could be. He saw the trap. If he screamed, if he lost his temper, he'd be making Gavin's case.
3: If that is what my Lord prison believes, I shall of course go to the freeing at the time you appoint. As must surely we all. I only wonder what I have done to offend you. Why do you lash out at me,
2: my son? A nice seed to plot, father. Well played. Yes, the Prism can send me to my grave. He can send any of us to our graves. Think about that. Turn it so that I look unreasonable instead. No, no. You endangered my son, on purpose. No more lies. Grinwoody, take him out, son. You will show me the proper reverence. Ignoring you when you act a fool and removing you from the public eye when you disgrace yourself is the proper reverence. Greenwoody!
0: And Roskile's fingers trembled, his jowls quivered, but he controlled himself. After a long moment, he turned and left, led by Grinwoody. No one said anything. No one met Gavin's eyes. It would behoove us to begin
2: considering who may be the next Red. I will be amenable to suggestions. I know I've pushed things. I know that I've frightened you, and to make up for it, I'll let one of you have what you want. I'll let one of you place your woman or man on the Red Seat and not try to place my own. Tit for tat. You want to plant seeds, Father? Let's do. Now, before we adjourn this meeting, Unless there are any other motions. No one said anything. Delara?
5: I move, we declare war. Seconded.
2: Sears Island votes for war. The Prism votes for war. Atash
3: votes for war. Blood Forest votes for war. But the
2: red is- Do You wish al- to leave the room during a vote to fetch him? If you go, your vote won't be recorded. You can't! Those are
0: very dangerous words to say to me. Cowards sometimes find their spines at inconvenient moments. But then Klatos withered. Your vote and his are entered as no votes. Truth was, he couldn't let this vote be challenged after the fact. That would tangle things up for weeks more.
5: Abornia votes no with great personal regret.
0: Gavin expected as much. Gia Tolliver was doubtless under strict orders. Gavin needed either Sada Superviolet or the White. He was certain the white would vote with him. Apparently, Sidah thought the same. She was looking at the white. Korea votes for war, and that was the win. Klytos blinked. "Hi, Lord Prism. Rothgar wishes to stand in unity with her neighbors." Rothgar votes yes. Of course. Gavin sent the declaration around the room, and everyone signed it. They allowed Andros an abstention and the White signed it. The room slowly emptied. No one said a word. Oddly enough, Gia Talver stayed behind. Gavin would have expected the White. Gia's single dark eyebrow was wrinkled. When the last person other than Gavin's blackguards had left the room, she leaned over.
5: My Lord Prism, so you know. If they'd called the vote on your own personal satrapy, I would have voted against you. They'd have had their supermajority. Your arrogance always treads the line. Today, you overstepped. You won. You won everything, but don't count on me as a safe vote ever again.
0: She left. Gavin scrubbed his hands through his hair. He needed a drink. He looked at his blackguards. They looked impassive. He wondered how they did that. They were the crazy ones around here. He stood and went to the door. They said nothing, but one of the blackguards preceded him. Not a precaution they always took. The white was waiting for him in the hall. He didn't stop, and she motioned to her blackguards to wheel her along at the same speed Gavin was walking.
1: What have you done, Gavin?
0: Gavin got onto the lift. I'm going down. That's what I'm afraid of. She held him by the force of her personality. Let her question hang in the air, demanding an answer. I lied and cheated and manipulated and I won. And I did it all for good reasons. For once...
1: All good reasons?
0: He said nothing, threw the brake open, and dropped from sight.
7: I've got something to say.
0: It's not going to be easy. Karis had barely finished washing up and getting dressed when Samite came into the Archer side of the barracks. Samite was one of Karis' best friends in the blackguard. Squat, tough, smart, and unfailingly awkward when she tried to be tender.
7: What's going on? Kay, you know how the lords and ladies of the Great Houses are always trying to get us blackguards and make us spies or deserters? I...
5: what does that have to do with anything? One of them got to
7: me... years ago. What? Sammy, stop! What are you doing? What I should have done a long time ago. Who? Lady Felia Guile.
0: Lady Guile subverted you? Karis had liked Lady Guile. A lot had thought for years that the woman would be her mother-in-law, and the closest thing to a mother Karis would ever know.
5: How'd she... No, never mind. I don't want to know. Sammy,
7: she's gone. You don't need to do this. It was nothing untoward. Two of my brothers were captured by Elysian pirates and made galley slaves. My family didn't even know where to start looking, much less how they'd afford a ransom. I went to her. She had people track them down and ransom them herself. She brought them here so I could see they were well. She nursed them back to full health and paid for their passage home. I could never have paid her back. I mean, I used my big blackout payout to buy my family a store and a farm. I offered, and she refused. She knew it would ruin my family. She said nothing about it for months. And when she
0: asked me for information later. There was no way I could refuse her. A velvet leash, held only by semi sense of honor, of debt. Yes, that was Lady Gile's style. She'd been a gentle orange, but an orange nonetheless.
7: She said she was merely trying to protect her son, and I believed her. He's the Prism, so I figured we were sharing the same goal. It wasn't really a betrayal, right? I knew better in my heart, which is why I'm telling you now. But I can't bear to tell Commander Ironfist. I can't bear to see the disappointment in his eyes. Regardless, the last duty she entrusted to me was this. She said that after she died, I was to give you this note.
0: Samite handed Keras a small note on Lady Gile's stationery.
7: I don't blame her, you know. She might have destroyed me, but it wasn't about me. It wasn't even about protecting her family. She did what she did for the seven satrapies. Sometimes, sacrifices must be made, and it's usually a small folk who pay, and we don't always get to know why. When I was young, I hated that, but I've made my peace. It's the way of the world. I'll wait for you outside. Damn it, Sammy. Why couldn't you have just left the note on my bed? The secrets were eating me up inside. I can't live like that, Karis. Not anymore.
0: The Blackguard couldn't afford to lose a woman as level-headed as Samite. Not even normally, and definitely not now. Not after they lost so many at Garrison. She opened the letter. In Lady Gile's beautifully practiced hand, it read.
6: Dazin loves you, Caris. He's always oh. loved you. If you confronted him with the truth already, please, take the time to ask him what really happened at your family's estate. I know you don't want to hear this, but a comforting lie has been poisoning your whole life. And that lie is this. That your brothers were innocent in the tragedy that destroyed your family. They weren't.
0: (sighs) Lady Gal was not only admitting (gasps) that Gavin wasn't Gavin, she was going from that point to tell Karis things Karis didn't know and maybe didn't want to know.
6: Your maid, Galia, betrayed your elopement to your brothers. They laid a trap at the estate and tricked Dazen into coming inside. They had chained all the doors shut and only had red light sources, knowing him not to be a red drafter. He alone got out, Karis, and perhaps he set the fires, but he didn't chain the doors. I don't wish to speak ill of the dead, Karis, but the blood spilled that night isn't on my Dazen's head. Of course, there was no easy way to let you know what really happened. I had several people over the years try to introduce the topic to you obliquely. You rebuffed any discussion. Please pardon my clumsy attempts to make peace. My dear child, Dazen thought you'd fallen in love with Gavin, and that was why you'd become betrothed to him. He thought you could never forgive him for what he'd done. After Sundered Rock, I urged him to marry you quickly before Andros could interfere. He refused, Caris. He said he could kill his own brother, and he could lie to all the world. But the one thing he would never do was take a woman to bed who loved his brother. He couldn't lie to you. Silly fool, he broke his betrothal to you because he loved you.
3: Karis
0: wanted to be sick. She couldn't stop reading.
6: And he loves you still, Karis. Believe me, I eventually gave up hope and urged him to marry other women, but he could never get you out of his heart. Please forgive him, child, and please forgive me, too. By putting these truths in writing, I've delivered our family into your hands. You can destroy Dazen if you so desire, and this will be proof. I would trust no one else with such power over my son, but I can see no other way. I wish only that I'd had the opportunity to say all this to you myself, and that I had done better at making peace between you, that I might see my grandchildren before I died. May your Horlem's light shine on you, Karis. Sincerely, Felia Guile.
3: Karis felt
0: numb. She read the letter again and wondered at herself. How had she believed such preposterous lies in the first place? On the night they were to elope, Dazen had sneaked around her family's estate and chained every door shut and then set the place afire? Or he'd arrived with a dozen men to do the same task. Men who had never been found or mentioned again, after Gavin got the armies marching after his brother. No, this made much more sense. Why else had her father insisted on getting Charis out of the city that very night? Because he knew about the trap his sons had planned. Perhaps that he had helped them plan. And then, when it went bad, her father had gladly covered up his son's murderous guilt and the deaths of everyone at the estate, and had done so with Andros Giles' complicity because it rallied the other noble families around Andras' favorite son, Gavin. It had been a conspiracy, just not the one Karis had always thought. The drums of war had started pounding, and Karis, young and weak, had simply believed that her elders must know things she didn't. Things that made the war inevitable, that made Dazen's guilt indisputable. Since then, Karis had always struggled to bring together the two Gavins she'd known, The one who'd been betrothed to her, but then used her cruelly and cast her off like she was garbage. And the later one who broke their betrothal at her heart, but then treated her kindly. The inexplicability was what had twisted her into knots. If she'd known Gavin was a cruel cat, she could have ridden off her infatuation as the stupidity of a young girl deluded by a man's good looks and charm and power. It was the parts of his character that seemed totally contradictory that kept her in limbo. And now... Instead of the hard revelations prompting gales of tears at years lost and lies believed, Karis felt relieved. At peace. She took each page of the letter and held it over a candle. Each burned up in a flash. Karis grinned at that. Fire paper. Lady Gile might have trusted her, but that didn't mean she wanted the letter to be hard to destroy. Dazen loved her. Dazen had always loved her and he was holding terrible secrets, alone. His respect for her, his love for her, had made him keep her nearby. It had made a thousand hard tasks harder for him. If he'd wanted, he could have had her cast out of the Blackguards easily. He could have had her imprisoned. He had never taken the easy way out, not where she was concerned. She stood, feeling lighter than she had in sixteen years, and walked to the door. Semite was standing there waiting for her, She had her hands behind her back, as if hiding something.
7: Lady Giles said that after you read this note, you'd have need of some serious firepower, one way or the other.
0: She brought her hands out from behind her back. In one hand was a large old pistol. In the other was a painfully beautiful lace chemise and a matching corset with short stays that would cost a blackguard a year's wages. So which is it going to be? Kara stared open-mouthed. Guile! Scandalous! And Sammy was holding that up in the middle of the barracks for a wholesome sake.
5: Who's on prism duty tonight?
7: I think it's some of the new boys. Perfect. Karis, what do
5: you. Are you just going to stand there? Or are you going to help me with my hair?